Welcome back. You're doing less once more with John and Jeff. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to be talking today about Andrew Yang, who's now out of the election campaign. His campaign has ended. Um, all right. Did we talk about him at all on, a, on any previous podcast? I feel like... Uh, I think we did a little bit. But yeah, not, maybe a little bit. Not extensively from what I remember. There's a lot to talk about. I guess one of the relevant things is the kind of idea that in order to become president, mm-hmm. you have to be a little bit of a psychopath. Like, a, <laughs> you have to be able to put just, like, the campaign ahead of, like, your personal life and like your family and i feel like andrew yang of all the democratic candidates not a not maybe not of all but he was definitely one of the top like real people <laughs> like he was willing to have like real conversations with like he was on joe rogan like you said he was on eric weinstein podcast um just having long form like completely off the cuff unprepared conversations about you know real stuff uh tulsi gabbard was another one who had some long form conversations but uh She's also not doing too well, so that's a, <laughs> yeah. a good example. And, like, I mean, he just seemed like a genuine, decent person, which is, like, obviously I don't know any of these candidates personally, but, like, they are not... When it comes to, like, appearing human, they are not doing less. They are doing the <laughs> most. Like, they, like you, their skin is human, but, like, you can tell there's, like, either a robot or a lizard underneath because it's, like, it just does... You know there's something off when they talk. It's just very not genuine. <laughs> Yeah, like um, Elizabeth Warren, who came out and said she got approached by a college student with six dollars in her bank account, and she get and she said, "I only have six dollars, but I'm giving you three dollars because that's how important you are to me." Right, like she used that as like an example of how like important this fight is. Like people are giving her like their last three dollars, or I guess not their last three, but their second to last three dollars. <laughs> and like it's just the fact that she thought that was like a good story to tell is just very like I don't know it's like that three dollars is so much more important to that that girl than the Elizabeth Warren campaign like she's not even doing well in the polls anymore like it's that money's gonna get wasted at this point so it's just like for her to just take that money <laughs> I, I don't know. That there was a script running in Elizabeth Warren's head that was like oh what's this girl gonna say Oh, I'm giving you money. Oh, money. That's good. Oh, it's only three dollars. Oh, three dollars. That's not good. But <laughs> she said, she said, find find a spin, find a spin. Oh, I can use this story to gain <laughs> positive, to garner f- positive like new voters. That's yeah. a positive. I'm gonna actually get more out of the story than a measly three dollars. I'm gonna get an actual story where I can connect with people. <laughs> right. Just like and how. And the. Dude, my my impression of her is just like someone told her once that telling people stories is like a good way to connect with people and like relay information and like it's it seems like she always has a story to tell but it's it doesn't feel like this is something she genuinely cares about you know it's just like she's telling this it feels like someone told her to do that right (laughs) or is she just completely fabricating it (laughs) Like she's yeah, I mean, like, the, like, like the Native American thing. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you like Elizabeth Warren, right? I, I want you to ask yourself: Do you really, actually, full heartedly think this person is like the best candidate, or is it just that like she's looks good relative to your options? Because that's that's the whole thing, right? It's like honestly, the options out there feel like. It feels like a high school student board election. Like, are these really the best people in America? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it seems like actually the president selects for the worst people. Like, the only people right. that want to be president are just terrible. <laughs> yeah, so that brings me right back to what I was beginning with. It's like, it's is the yeah exactly does the president is the role of the president selecting for somebody who is you know has the traits where they can be can put the can their campaign over you know being personable or being family oriented mm-hmm. so in in that way it's kind of not surprising that 
we see the end of Andrew Yang's <laughs> right, which is where I was gonna. But um, because Andrew Yang is was probably one of the mo- more personable, more like down to earth and like understanding candidates on the Democratic side. Yeah, I mean, he just seems like a genuinely good dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'd have to meet any of the other people for me to be able to say that about them. Like, I just don't get that impression. Like, I, I don't know who any of these people really are. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just that they're all fake. Yeah, certainly. So that's what we have good to say about Andrew Yang. Um, <laughs> but, we do, <laughs> but we do want to address his major, the focal point of his campaign, which was universal basic income. So there's a kind of economic side of that that you can dissect. But we're, we were going to actually come at it first from the um, more emotional side that he kind of appealed to, which was the idea that it is ine- it's inevitable that humans are, are getting displaced from the workforce, you know, kind of period. Like that's like mm-hmm. the statement. So be, f- be afraid of this thing called technology the you know technological advancement is displacing humans from from working from being able to find jobs which on its surface is pretty you can look into history and see this is pretty it's a common appeal to emotion you know with the mm-hmm. event with the advent of basically every new technology people are saying would say oh the event the invention of the plow is going to put farmers out of work Right. And it's like, yeah, it did, but those people <laughs> went and found other jobs. You know what I mean? So it's like, right. it's kind of relatively, it's not new. It's not a new thing that's just happening. New technology is making us better and more productive. So, but the idea of AI, I guess, is the novel aspect of his argument. Well, I, I think there's like a lot of things wrong with this mentality. And... Uh, so one is like a over focus on jobs. And, you know, we've talked about, we talked about this in the last podcast, actually, where people look at the unemployment rate as an indication of how well we're doing, but it's like jobs are not, it's not a commodity. Not all jobs are the same. And so they, like uh, most people's job used to be a farmer. In fact, before the industrial revolution, like 90% of people were farmers. Like, look at us today, you know, they could not even conceive of the jobs that exist in our world today. Just like we, if we're replacing all these people, we can't conceive of the jobs that'll exist because we won't recognize a world like that. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be like, I think the thing I find most distasteful with this mentality is if you think people get put out of work and that's like such a bad thing. The underlying assumption in there is that that person's time isn't valuable, right? Like the reality is human human's time is valuable. Humans are the smartest thing on the planet. And even if we can replace them doing certain tasks, we can't replace all of their intelligence and all the things that make people human. And so there's a scarce resource of human ability and human intelligence. And the more you can free people's time up to use that, the better, because it's valuable. And so like for you to say, oh no, we're freeing up all these people's time. This is dangerous. You're inherently saying those people's time isn't valuable. In fact, it's a detriment to our society mm-hmm. <laughs> by freeing up all their time. This is a problem. Like that's, that's just a very pessimistic view of humanity that I just fundamentally am not going to subscribe to. And I think the evidence stands against it. Right. Yeah, I I like to think that if I had more time that that would be awesome. You know, I, would, I have like a <laughs> list of things I would do. I would read more and learn in, an instrument and um I think this is actually what Joe Rogan's response to someone was. It's just like, yeah, like I I have no that doesn't even cross my mind. That's like uh like if I had more free time People think, oh, like, what am I going to do? It's like, that's not even like a concept. It's like, I'll keep myself busy. I'll find something to do. I'll find something that's worthwhile, something that's keeps me stimulated and 
I, as long as I'm getting better at something, like I can just work towards something that's like, that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, pos- there's like a positive um, reward associated with just that, that freedom, that ability to do it, what you mm-hmm. want. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, and just looking at history, like I said, there's always just that consistent factor of people just find new jobs, like new jobs that you can't even conceive of. Like right. my, or my they example create is, them. yeah, my, my example is like Fortnite streaming or like video game <laughs> streaming was like that was completely like even what five years ago eight years ago that right. was like i'm gonna play video games for money it's just like oh you're dreaming it's just right like, today it's like oh i'm gonna play video games for money oh yeah what service do you use you know, like Twitch? <laughs> oh yeah how much money do you make yeah, like it's just like that stuff that's exactly to me that's such a positive development of like right Oh, I, I would have had to work in a coal mine when I was 18, but now I play video games, which is something I do for leisure and I get mm-hmm. paid to do that. Like, like, yeah, that's just, that's just, that's purely beneficial. That's purely positive. I guess the only thing you could say is like, oh, someone in the coal mines learned discipline and learned how to make a, yeah. like real, real work, which I agree. I mean, does. that's kind of true, but yeah. That th- does that mean we should just prevent and that's another thing is like there's this idea or this concept well i actually andrew yang doesn't believe this he doesn't think we can prevent it some people think you can prevent it right innovation but you can't because the reality is the reason we seek innovation and uh, efficiency is because it makes our lives better Mm -hmm. you know why would we as a society all be seeking things that are like just ultimately gonna cause our demise like it's just not we're not going to do that. So, I mean, as an aggregate, we might, but as individuals, we're not. Like, at the end of the day, there's someone who wants the truck to drive itself mm-hmm. because it's cheaper. And it's if it's cheaper, then he's saving money and he can spend that money on something else, right? So, it's like, if I spent, you know, if farming was not automated, right? So, it's there's no tractors, there's no equipment, there's nothing. The people who are farming are not going to be able to make enough food for all of us, right? So the price of food is going to skyrocket. And now suddenly all the other things I have in my life, I can't afford. I can only afford to buy food now. So it's, there's going to be, that's all the other things we we like about life would go away. So the cheaper you can make everything you currently have, then it opens the door to, to more. Suddenly you can have new stuff, right? And that and that's the key here. So if we automate truck driving, which Andrew Yang was like, okay, that's terrible. We can't, the, all these people are going to be unemployed. Yes, it's going to be hard for those people in the short run. But in the long run, everything's going to be cheaper as a result. And I mean everything because we ship everything. So truck driving is one of the biggest industries in the, in the country. So if we can automate this and lay off that many people in man hours, that's a huge cost reduction all across the board for everything we use. And so, yeah, it's going to be temporarily painful for those guys. But when they figure out what they can now do with their time, everything that they, if they can find, you know, create something of value, do something of value, suddenly everything's cheaper for them too. So we all benefit in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, my response when I hear about the detriment of losing your job to technology to losing your job to like a net beneficial aspect mm-hmm. of society like we're doing it easier cheaper more efficient i think it's actually a it's that's actually a symptom that's not that's not actually the that's not actually the cause of the problem it's a symptom of a of the deeper problem and that deeper problem is our society's stress on spending which kind mm-hmm. of comes back to Andrew Yang too with his universal basic income. A big reason mm-hmm. he is a proponent for universal basic income is to um, give put more money in the hands of people for spending so that spending increases and GDP goes up, which mm-hmm. is, we talked about that in the last episode. <laughs> so, Ad nauseum. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so spending going up is just kind of this inherently good thing. And, we lo- and what's lost in that is the idea that thrift and saving is actually so important for every economic agent that's participating in the in society in the economy 
Um, so that per that truck driver, if he was encouraged to save rather than spend, right, he may be able to work for 20 years, 15 years, you know, and save up to be able to, to afford to spend two, three years of unemployment, no problem. He's able to, that's, he can take that in stride because he was able to develop a, 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 you know, a strong cash reserve, a strong, uh, you know, rainy day fund. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's advertised in pretty much every personal finance literature that I've been able to find in my research. Right. But it's, but, at, but that's overshadowed by this, by this political, like the, po the politicians kind of have that as like, as second or as non-existent to the idea of spending. Mm. make it easier for people to spend make it you know interest rates lower make liquidity more available so that there's more spending there's more products there's more spending increase the gdp that way no politician is talking no i've never heard in this debate come up by a politician what's the what's the actual sy systemic reason why none of these truck drivers have any savings saved up like that's mm -hmm. not normal to me in in a society I think there should be a degree of thrift that should be promoted and saying like, you could lose your job and it's not the worst thing. Just make sure you're prepared for that. Make sure you have something saved up. Right. Cause you're, well, cause you I, I do think part of that is, um, and I think this is another idea that's not, people often misunderstand is that money is fungible. And what that means is say, you know, you want someone like food stamps is a perfect example. If I have a, a total income, I'm going to spend some portion of it on food. Okay. Now, if I say I give you, I want to help you out, right? But I only want to help you out towards food. So I'm going to give you these things called food stamps that can only be used on food. It's like, okay, so now I bought the food and I didn't use any of my money. I only use the food stamps. So now I have the money to spend on that I was going to spend on food to spend on whatever I want. So it's like you can't give someone money that only goes towards something because, you know, mm. whatever money you're sparing them for that something can go to whatever they else they want. Right. So like if you're giving someone something that amounts to money they would have spent anyway, then there's no difference. And, and so this goes back to you know, uh, there's things like unemployment, uh, benefits and things like that. If you, uh, lose your job. So if you know, those options are available to you, you're not going to save as much because you don't need to. So it, it just, this goes back to that idea is like, you know, and it, it's the same thing with, uh, Andrew Yang's universal basic income. He's like, okay, I'm going to give everyone a thousand dollars a month. Well, some people only want to work as much as they need to work. So let's say you like to cover your standard of living, whatever you want your standard of living to be is $50,000 a year. You know, a lot of people work like part-time or gig or whatever, and they make the amount of money they need to make. And that's how much they work. Now, if you give them 12 grand, they might just cut cut 12 grand of time they spend working out of their uh budget, right? And so now there's 12 grand less of service being provided to the rest of the economy from that person. Mm. So you're just taking away from the supply as much as you're adding to it. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you might get spending, but people do this so often is like spending is good because we make things and people so and we need people to spend on them or else we go out of business. It's like, okay, but if someone is spending money on your stuff that didn't that wasn't backed by some kind of creation of value, like they didn't create anything in return, then that money they gave you is kind of like fake in a sense, right? It's not mm -hmm. it's not backed by anything you want. We don't want money. Like money I feel like is this abstraction that gets a lot of people confused right like at the end of the day we don't want money we want stuff 
Okay. And so if you're on a desert island and you're and you use seashells as currency, you don't really want the seashells, right? You want like food, shelter, these kinds of things. And mm-hmm. if you're the only one hunting, building huts and whatever, and everyone's handing you seashells, fat lot of good that does you because they're not making anything <laughs> you want. You know, if you're the one making everything, it doesn't matter what everyone else is, it, how many seashells everyone else has. It's right. irrelevant. You know, at the end of the day, what you want is stuff. And money is a way of representing that you've added value. So if you're not actually adding value and you get money, it all it's going to do is decrease or increase the price of all the things that we do want because there's more money out there for fewer and fewer goods. And that's inflation. I think I heard somewhere that um, there were there were societies that used uh, seashells as money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the word clams come from. Or like when people refer to like to give you to give someone 10 clams uh, I giving 10, I heard that. $10. It's like referencing like a it's what they actually transacted in clams as their currency. But uh but anyway, yeah, that's a, that's that's major. That's a major response to th- this idea that uh gov- like the the idea that deficits don't matter, which mm-hmm. No matter what side you're on, Democrat or Republican, you really don't, unless you're actively, like us, speaking out against your party or against your uh, representation, mm-hmm. um, every person in this country that's represented by a Democrat or Republican is basically ceding that they, they disagree with what Jeff just said, mm-hmm. right? Deficits don't matter, like Republicans and Democrats spend at a deficit they signed these trillion dollar spending spending bills they raise the debt ceiling they just do it on autopilot essentially because (laughs) there's just this air of oh we can just keep spending a deficit because no one nothing bad happened so far and Mm -hmm. no one's telling us not to so we're just going to keep doing it um so some people say yeah that's actually fine that's that's actually exactly the case nothing bad will ever happen but uh if you believe what jeff just said that like paper bills or clams in response in in exchange for something has to be eventually traded for something else like you can't just it's not just a one way like you can't just create currency that everyone's going to accept always there's always a point at which point people are like okay you've given me enough dollars i need something in return now right like that's the, like the whole point of money is to represent value. It's be, it's so that it can be exchanged for stuff. So if you're if we're creating all this money that's not backed by stuff, then it's like you're clearly diluting the value of money because it's no longer it's no, like its whole purpose is being defeated if you're just creating it without backing it by value. You're completely like you're making the proportion of money that actually represents anything smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And then what's, what happens? The prices of everything go up. You know, people aren't stupid. They figure this out eventually. Right. And I really think that you have to, if you have, if you argue that, that, that no, that's not the case. If you argue that deficits really don't matter and you, and sovereign governments or governments can issue sovereign currency um, as much as they want, you have to be able to defend yourself from the argument that's like, okay, well, if you're right, what's the limit? What's the, what's the limiter? So in Andrew right. Yang's case, it's like, okay, a thousand dollars. What's the reason that a thousand dollars is right and two thousand dollars is wrong? For all the reasons that you're arguing that a thousand dollars is right to give someone per month, mm-hmm. right? It's going to help them out. They'll have more money to save, or they'll have money, more money to spend. Is really mm-hmm. what you said, not yeah. save. Um, <laughs> it'll grow the economy. It'll do all these things. Okay, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's make it two thousand dollars per month. Let's make it three thousand dollars per month. Right. Let's make it. I mean, I was really thinking of the extreme. Like these people that that really are proponents for this. What stops you from saying any person that ever comes up with at any time a a idea of spending, just any idea of spending, 
Right. What stops that government from saying, yeah, I'll pay for it. Spending is good. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. Spending is not good. Like you can't just say that and then say like, oh, like everyone, like, I think I should go on vacation. The government writes you a check. Oh, I think I want to start a business. The government writes you a check. Oh, I think I want to, <laughs> to sell, uh, <laughs> rocks that I find in my backyard. The government <laughs> writes you a check. All this is spending. All this is increasing GDP. Right, you have to come up with a reason why that's not the that's not good. Well, right. that's clearly not good, right? Yeah, I think we've gotten so abstracted in our models and our like data is like we've just like lost common sense. Like, you know, like clearly, like you have to figure out what is the driving force. Like people talk about this with minimum wage, and they'll say, okay, like our case is, you know, if. If $10 an hour is good, why not 20? Why not 30? And people go, oh, well, that's the same thing as saying a little bit of medicine is good. Why not more medicine is better? So clearly that's not the case. It's like, yeah, but you can point to specific (laughs) reasons why it's not okay with the medicine example. I can tell you why more medicine is not okay. It's because there's limits on your organs like your kidneys and your liver that cannot process uh, more drugs uh, per hour or whatever per day than a specific amount. And if you give person a person more than that, those organs will shut down and mm-hmm. stop working and that person will die. I can point to exactly why more right. medicine is not good. But now you do that. You know, you tell me why $1,000 of UBI is good and t- 2000 is not. Like why right. 2000 is bad. Where, and I have not seen any of these people explain what is the other mechanism at play you know like this is really an optimization problem if it's it it simply must have a maximum right because otherwise it just goes to infinity the benefit is just like just you know whatever you want to spend money on more you know whatever the ubi is more whatever the minimum wage is more there there must be another force driving this this you know utility down to achieve a maximum. And what is that? That's what I want to know. It's like, I can't, no one has identified this for me. So, you know, if you know what this other force is, please feel free to leave that in the comments. <laughs> but what okay. I would tell you this force is, is it's inflation. Right. And that starts at the beginning of the curve. I, I think it's just negative through and through. Yeah, that's a great point. So he might, like, I, I don't know, I'm taking the if I was to fill Yang's shoes right now, I might say like, oh, we don't know, but it, it, that's, the, that's the whole point. It's an experiment. At which I would respond, mm. so to be back in my shoes, to be back in I would say, I'd say, okay, so if you're <laughs> pledging to do an experiment, you get elected president, well then you're promising to me to do it, to run this experiment, you will not change any single other measure of policy, <laughs> of government policy, <laughs> except this. Right, because right. you have to create the comparison. Like this is that's the problem. Like in in medicine, you can tell me a doctor or like a biologist can tell me within like a degree of accuracy, or like they can estimate to a degree of accuracy what exactly the number of milligrams of <laughs> the, you know whatever right. drug that you're taking will overdose or will set send this organ into uh, to failure mode. Right. right, it does depend on the person a little bit, but it's yeah, like yeah. But yeah, the biologist would probably be able to take and calculate that. There's a, there's right. actual calculations, there's actual studies, there's actual controls. Right. With, ec- with economics, running an experiment, it's so different, right? <laughs> to say thousand dollars, let's give it a shot. It's like, okay, well, you have to be able to will, you have to be able to be willing to control for every other variable, and if that's the case, you have to be willing to see if it fails, because if it doesn't. If you're not willing to see that, then it's not really an experiment. <laughs> right. A, and you can only do it in part of America because if you did it in all of America, then you have no control. You have nothing right. to compare it to. So it's like that's fundamentally the problem with government is we go, oh, this this idea is good, but we've never tested it. Right. Mm. Uh, and so we're just going to implement this throughout America with nothing to compare it to to figure out if it worked or didn't. And then we're just going to assume it did or it didn't, you yeah. know, like we, we have no frame of reference cause we have no <laughs> controls. And so we just do stuff Yeah. Fr- and we don't know why, like, why are we doing all this stuff? 
<laughs> if we there's no evidence that any of it actually works. Right. It's just it's tough. It's really it's it really need we just really need like common sense to prevail, which like you said, it's in short supply. Not a lot of people are are looking at this common sense like no we can't just print money <laughs> to become in fact, every time that has been tried is ended disastrously. So it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's just people are willing to overlook that. So yeah, I mean, the the reality is that like this type of stuff happens over and over and over again throughout history. So it's like, why you know, why do we expect anything else though? <laughs> it's like we're kind of the fools if we expect anything different. Yeah. <laughs> well. You can always get better, and that's why we're here, trying to get better. We're trying to... Trying to do less. Yeah. Uh, I did have an analogy for what we were talking about before with the savings that I don't know if I should say it now because we're kind of... We kind of left that topic, but... With this, like, what about savings? What you were saying with, like, oh, this... Like, having the safety net actually impacts... The amount. How much you save. save. Right. Yeah. Throw it at me. Okay. I'll say quick. So I was driving down the road. I was driving on the highway. And I realized that there was a gas station fairly often, right? Mm -hmm. To the point where I was like running low Uh, on gas. It's classic. I've done this before. (laughs) I was running low on gas and I was just like, I could go another 10 miles, you know, because I was that (laughs) confident that there was another, (laughs) you know, another gas station on the next, next exit. Well, I was right. I was able to get gas. And um, as I was filling my gas, I was thinking, I was like, that was probably not, you know, I don't know if it was like not smart because, you know, I want to get, it wasn't like not smart because I I was willing, I was willing to bet that there was going to be another gas station. And I was basing that on the fact that there are always so many gas stations Mm -hmm. that uh, I ended up not pulling over the side of the road with that, like with no gas. (laughs) Um, so if you hear that story and you say, oh, I never want anyone to run out of gas on the side of the road, that sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. You may be tempted to enact a government regulation that says you need to have a gas station every five miles on the highway, (laughs) right? Yeah. If you do that, then you're going to have probably very little people running over, pulling over on the side of the highway with no gas. Um, but it's almost like if you do that, there might be still be people that will just not learn that <laughs> like, oh, there just that safety net of having, oh, the next, there's going to be the next exit. The next exit will have a gas station. The next exit will have a gas right. station. That there actually will still be people that will get caught two and a half miles in between exits <laughs> without gas. Now, conversely, if there's only a gas station every 200 miles or something crazy, Mm-hmm. Right, every gas station you see, you're stopping at. Right, because if you don't, you're gonna, you're gonna like run out of gas. So it's just like the the environment that with within which you operate affects how how you act at the stimulant, like the given right. Stimulus. This I think this is such an important point. Right, right. we enact policies thinking that current behaviors and decisions will continue on exactly as they are in when the new policy takes effect. But the policy affects people's decision-making. It changes their behaviors, which changes the environment. Right. So you can't expect the environment to stay exactly the same in all other aspects, enact this policy, and just reap whatever benefits. Because it's like by... By enacting the policy, you're changing the system. You're changing the incentives. You're changing the behavior. And so you're not going to just get the exact outcome you thought you would because it's going to influence things. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, having the gas station every 200 miles, well, one way to reduce the number of people that pull over on the side of the road without gas is you could... Increase the number of gas stations, A, or B, you could just put up a sign that says this is the last gas, gas station for 200 miles. Mm-hmm. You know, the, w- in the second scenario, you're probably still going to have more people than in the first scenario, mm-hmm. like uh, have to, you know, run out, like run out of gas. 
But the marginal cost of opening a gas station every five miles versus mm-hmm. just putting up a sign, it's probably not even compared. Like those signs probably saved like half the cars, whereas right. those those five gas stations every five miles probably saved ninety percent of the cars. But cost <laughs> infinite, <laughs> like not infinite, like you know, two hundred times more or whatever that is, twenty times. Right. And this is another thing more. I think government just gets wrong all the time is. How do you figure out, okay, this is a good thing, but when is it too much of a good thing, right? Like, it's good to have doctors, right? We want more doctors. And probably the limiting factor on the number of doctors we have is actually the number of qualified people. Maybe. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not an expert on this, but I I imagine that's part of the, the factor. I think there's a lot of people who are just honestly not cut out for being doctors because it's hard. Um... But, you know, what if we could, what if that wasn't the case? What if, like, everyone really was able to be a doctor if they really wanted to, okay? Well, then, how many doctors is too many doctors? What if everyone was a doctor? That's too many doctors, right? Now we have no food. No one's growing food. We don't want everyone to be a doctor. So, clearly, there's a point at which there's too many doctors, right? And then if no one knows how to be a doctor, that's too little, right? So there's a maximum somewhere. And how do you find that, right? Well, the answer is markets find out through prices, right? If the price of going to the doctor is absurdly high, like you're like, oh my God, like I can't, my knee hurts, but I can't, this isn't, I can't go. This is because it would bankrupt me. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I just can't. Well, that's a signal to people, hey, become a doctor. It's, you know, insanely lucrative. And so that tells many people to get into the field of being a doctor because it's like the, where all the money is, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you'll get more doctors. Right. And now suddenly if you get tons and tons and tons of people being doctors, they're not going to be able to charge insane prices for their services anymore. And now suddenly being a doctor doesn't really seem so worth it because the price is too low. And so this is how we figure out the proper number of the things we need. The problem is government does not have this tool because the government is a monopoly on everything. They can't, it can't figure out the optimum thing because it doesn't, in, it doesn't exchange with anyone. It, it's not buying and selling. It's just collecting taxes. It, and it can, it's going to get the taxes it's going to get whether you like it or not, <laughs> right? So like if, if their pol- policy was bad, you can't say, okay, well, I'm only going to give you 10% taxes this year because this policy was terrible this year. <laughs> no, they're going to take it out. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Get, so they have no feedback loop in which they can fine-tune their policies because they get th- your taxes whether you like it or not. And so it's just inherently less right. efficient at uh, solving our problems. So th- like this is why we say the government needs to do less because it's it's – not good at solving problems. There's some problems it has to solve. We have no other, you know, way of dealing with certain things. Like, you know, some people say you could have a private military. I think that's a load of baloney. I think military is inherently a function of like a state and that needs to be handled by the state. Mm-hmm. And like things like there, like there are things you can point to where this is like you, there's no way you can have a market sort this out. Mm-hmm. And that's when you turn to government. It's it's the the option of last resort because you know it's going to be horribly inefficient. Like the military, for example, something like twenty five percent of the military budget is unaccounted for. We have no idea what it's spent on. It's just it, the the accounting is not the books just don't tell us what it goes to. So just twenty five percent of that budget just we don't know. <laughs> so that's that gives you an indication of how efficient these things run. Goes to Area 51. <laughs> yeah, that's for the aliens. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even think they're hiding anything. I think it's literally just, it's like complacency, right? Like what incentive yeah. do they have no, to manage their books right and keep their costs down? It's like they yeah, don't have yeah. it. So it's just like, oh, what did that go to? I don't know. I I didn't keep the receipt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that was a bit of a tangent, but that was a good one, I think. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to mention about Andrew Yang well, it's actually not anything Andrew Yang said, to my knowledge, but it's something I've heard of in this in the in the the rhetoric of this debate. 
um, is the idea that technology should be limited because at some point technology is going to replace, like at some point humans are going to be indistinguishable from robots that we create. So it's like at that point, that's not good for anyone. If you can just replace, you know, the people that you interact with on a daily basis with yes, robots, this is what we'll do. then, you know, what, isn't that a bad thing? So hashtag replace John with a robot. <laughs> <laughs> if you um so before you start talking about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing i just want to point to it so what i think that the logic behind this argument is i think is inherently faulty which i want to address first which is the idea that for pretty much all of history that we can remember technology has been increasing extremely fast call exponential you know in certain ways you define it like the number of transistors on a on a computing chip there's certain patterns that are like actually like exponential that you can say is at any at this rate it's inevitable there's going to be a point in the future where technology can do everything mm -hmm. you know that's so scary that's going to take everyone's job like that's just like the conclusion that's is jumped to by that argument but i would say the difference between that is that every step of the way, every technology, every piece of technology that was developed, there has been somebody with something to gain that said, I want to develop this. Everything, right? Uh, we, we mentioned self-driving technology on this podcast. There's people that, have, that stand to gain so much money from self-driving technology. If they could push a button that says, car, my, car, my fleet that's currently being driven, drive itself, that's just like they push that button and they will front and upfront cost probably, but then we'll see see a return, you know, every year thereafter. So it's like that person will press that button. When it comes to something like sweeping human replacement technology, like who would benefit from that? Like I just don't, I don't see a person pushing that button and making that replacement. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, like, exactly, right? It's like, at the end of the day, there's always going to be scarcity. Like, you cannot, this is the thing that people really, I think, always need to go back to is that everything is scarce, okay? And while you may be able to invent robots that are self-driving and they do this amazing self-driving, maybe robots are also good at Fly fishing. Uh, that was a terrible example. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're really good at uh, flying p planes and and fishing. You know, <laughs> fishing. I and fly fishing. I, I couldn't think of anything. But my point is, there's other things that that technology is going to be good at, and so potentially, you know, and so you're going to want the technology to be able to do what you want it to do as cheaply as possible, as efficiently as possible and nothing else, right? If you're, if you want your cars automated, if you don't want someone, if you don't want to pay a driver, if you want to pay a robot to do it and that's cheaper, you're not also going to pay that robot to be good at baseball. <laughs> like that's not, right. that's, that's added technology and engineering that you don't need, right? Right. So the idea that we're going to make these like human Think about humans. Humans cost so much money to raise, to learn, to teach, to become, to be a human is very expensive. It takes a lot of resources and investment to make a human. And so there's, that's part of why humans are so adaptive and we can do all these different things is because there's this lot of time, a lot of learning period, like you're useless until the age of like eight. So like there's at least eight years of just investment in this useless thing as it learns and figures out the world before it can able even do anything. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when it comes to a robot, it's like, you don't want all that other stuff. You just want it to do the one job that you assigned it to do better than a human, but you don't want it to do all the other things, but you don't want it to like tell stories better than a human too. Like, I don't see why anyone would make this, thing that's just better than a human at everything all at the right. same time right right 
Because what are you replacing humans for? Like, unless you don't have any friends, like, that's the only thing, like, even then (laughs) you just maximize it at friendship or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So, right. So that's one. So the example I was thinking of, is like, oh, if you need like food service or like customer service, like where people are more comfortable with like a human bringing their food Mm -hmm. at a restaurant or like if they have to go into like a T-Mobile store and like change their cell phone plan. Maybe mm-hmm. they are more comfortable with like a smiling face, smiling back at them and telling them, you know, this is the better plan or whatever. And, and having that actual attendant there. So, okay. So if you make that argument that these companies are willing to put that investment into creating an actual lifelike human robot, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that robot will be designed to operate 24 seven nonstop behind the desk or behind, you know, at the restaurant. They'll be, they'll design, if they're able to design it, in that manner they're going to design it the exact way they want it which is to have no lapse of productivity Mm -hmm. if you have that that robot wanting to check out you know or like to clock out after their shift is over at 5 p.m (laughs) right then that's you've just sacrificed your earning potential on that robot right Mm -hmm. you're gonna if you if you have to create the robot to want to have like a work life balance <laughs> and like to <laughs> clock out like you have to be willing to recognize that and that has to make the the product better the robot better at performing its function which i just don't see why that would be necessary if you can already design it to do exactly what you want it to do right the only place where i could see this like running into trouble is you know let's say you start having robots do uh, sort of predictive behaviors like an entrepreneur right an entrepreneur that's not you know a repetitive task right it's a very mm-hmm. creative thing it's like you're basically looking at what you think people want and trying to meet that with the available resources that exist now if you try to make a robotic entrepreneur you know maybe it, Maybe you'll make a good one and it'll actually start businesses that are successful. It's hard to even imagine what a robotic entrepreneur would be like, but it's like, I don't know. Let's say you could do it. And then now suddenly your robotic entrepreneur is like starting to say things like, uh, you know, like we need to make human melting technology. And you're just like, <laughs> wait, why? <laughs> like, you know, but like, there's yeah. always going to be like a purpose, right? So like when it starts to say some weird shit, like, you always hit the off button, right? Like it's still fulfilling mm-hmm. some kind of role for you. Like until we just basically say the robots tell us what to think until then, like, you know, you could always second guess it, you know, even if it's replacing, you know, you as an entrepreneur, you can always be like, no, nah, I'm not going to make a human melting company. I'm good. I'm like good on that front. Like, you know, you can, <laughs> I'll turn you off now. You know, like it's so the people who are worried about like this takeover in every aspect, it's like, yeah, they may automate like all the jobs as we know it, but we'll make new higher level jobs while the robots are doing all those things. And our standard of living is just going to be higher Mm because everything we have today is going to be basically a given. And then there's going to be this new standard of living that we don't even really understand that's going to be like on top of that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I do agree. I, um, I think there, I mean, some very influential, smart people, Elon Musk thinks that mm-hmm. like the, the, it's not going to be the, the, the ability to have the off switch will actually be lost when we create robots that can create robots. And then at that point we like are, we become unhinged from the process and we lose our ability to like step in and say, to stop that and so i just i mean to that i can't i guess i agree but i just think that we shouldn't be like doing like, it. it's like playing with fire <laughs> i don't like so let's say you make robots that create robots but like again this comes back to like why would you do what yeah. that what does that seed robot do like the first robot that you make why do what you kind of robots is it making yeah. and for what reason right if you're right. just making hyper-intelligent robots whose sole purpose is to re-procreate. Okay, you yeah. just made another species. 
Mm-hmm. Like, why did you do that? <laughs> right. You know, maybe you just want to watch the world burn, and that's you know that's plausible. Some maybe some mad genius could do such a thing, yeah. but like at the end of the day, like someone had to basically envision a new type of life form mm-hmm. that they like decided to make, and, and kind it's of like I, you know, there's not really an incentive to do right. that. Yeah, I was gonna and say so like forego forego pro- profit in that, right like indefinitely to just like see what'll happen. Right. And another thing is, again, resources are scarce. So even if the robot can make other robots, who's it buying that material from? Like a person, no? Mm-hmm. Like, in, like you can't just automatically replace everything with robots. Like, you know, there's still going to be people controlling certain things. And suddenly the robot's like, I need 8 million tons of steel. And you're like, uh, what? Why? And what are you going to pay me for it? And it's like, okay, where does it get the money for it? What's it doing that's contributing? You know, like... Right. I don't know. It Like, if it's as good as a person, it's going to be providing, providing as much value as a person would. And so we're just going to be benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking of the, the plot of Ex Machina. Have you seen that? Yeah, a, lot, a while ago. So that, that guy was creating an artificial intelligence like lifelike robot mm-hmm. but he was just doing it because he was like he just wanted to make like a real right but know. like think about how many resources he was destroying in the process right like the amount of t- his time spent in that you know whatever tech was needed to go into like all those yeah. things could have be spent doing something else and so he's foregoing a lot to achieve this goal and that's what we're saying because yeah. like there's this strong disincentive to just create like malevolent technologies like right it's just because it's wasteful there's profits to be made you know like there's an incentive to be using technology towards the ends that people want you to use it for and so like really i think where we should be concerned is systems where the incentives are misaligned they're pointed badly right and i don't see this as one of those systems yeah that's a that's a good summary well, I think I'm about done with this one. Yeah, okay. me too. Anything else to say? R.I.P. Yang. <laughs> yeah. Not that I would even like him as president, but <laughs> no, right. I just you just see I I would like if just a good dude was president, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or a woman. Wonder what that would be like. <laughs> <laughs>